Hello, and welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some listeners might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Erin, Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me. I am going to be reading from this new teen book. It is called Each Night Was Illuminated by Jody Lynn Anderson. And we seem to have a theme for the month of March, uh, at least the last four weeks, which has to do with stars and or space and or dreams, which is pretty cute. Okay, so Cassie barely remembers meeting Elias when they were both children. In fact, she's done her best to forget the deadly accident they witnessed together. The accident that made her stop believing in God, though she'd never let on to her devout Catholic father and sister. But when Elias comes back to town after many years away in Australia, Cassie finds herself sneaking out at night to follow him as he goes ghost hunting. Elias truly believes that he will find evidence of ghosts. Cassie knows better. Still, the more time she spends with Elias, with his questions, his rebelliousness, his imagination that is so much bigger than the box she has made for herself. The more Cassie thinks that even in a world that seems broken beyond repair, there just may be something worth believing in. So this story uh, is about saints and floods, secrets and truth, rage and love, and the bravery it takes to bet your whole life on a new kind of hope. All right, let's see. This was written in 2022. Looks like we got this in our collection in October. All right, there is an author's note. The character of Saint Ia in this novel is loosely based on historical accounts of Saint Ia of Celts. I have taken many artistic liberties with her, however, and have therefore altered her name. So I'm wondering if Ia, which is spelled E-I-A is going to be Elias in this story. We'll see. If you wish to rise, begin by descending. St. Augustine. Prologue. To picture Manhattan in the flood, you have to try to picture it like this. The city up to its knees in water, a back of bristled buildings rising in a river that's joined to the sea. I lie floating, fighting for my breath and watch it come into view. It's morning, but not yet light. And even though it seems the city shouldn't have power, the lights of the skyscrapers glitter. Helicopters buzz around the skyline. I see the tiny dots of rescue boats glowing like beacons, dots of what might be people in the water. They are so small under the vast approaching sky, the city a confluence of a million chaotic things cobbled together and humming with life. I probably won't live to see what has survived. I bob, catching mouthfuls of water, slipping. I will end up at the bottom of the Hudson River, like all the gangsters. I will sleep with the fishes tonight. I want to make a joke about this to someone. The loneliness of knowing that I never will is crushing. I float on the current and keep my eyes on the lights as if they could stop me from sinking. I think about the few small words that brought me here. Close your eyes, Elias said, doing that up and down thing he does. 
that restless, slight bouncing on the balls of his feet that make him look eight and not 18. Think about our secrets, the things only you and me were there for. And when I look back to the things only he and I were there for, I realize for the first time how they are all waterbound. A night it snowed in summer, a train in a lake, a boy in a river. I have a mermaid destiny, it seems. It makes me think about Saint Ia, too. She too had to face the water. Her faith made a leaf grow to fit her and float her home across the sea. And then the hairs stand up on my neck and my eyelids quiver and I see them, so tiny and distant, up around the spires of the Chrysler building and soaring above the peak of the Freedom Tower. They flutter in the dying wind, the quieting storm, buffeted by a swirl of clouds so wide they look like they might be battered down out of the air. I'm imagining them, of course. Still, they circle the sky, steadily doing their work. I know it's all in my head, but still, I want so badly to reach them. I don't believe in them, but the dead have come for me anyway. I wonder if she's thinking she's seeing angels. Part one, chapter one. I was always trying to lose Elias from the moment I met him. I knew him for less than two hours that first time, but it was enough to entangle us for life. It was a hot green summer. I was 11. That afternoon, I was standing under the KISS tree with a bunch of other kids my age. We were all circled on our bikes, arguing with Peter Murphy about penises. <laughs> the thread of Peter's argument went something like this. Girls couldn't climb as high as boys, thanks to boys having penises, though the middle of the argument, where the link between penises and tree scaling ability was established, was fuzzy. And that's why, Peter claimed, the name of his crush, a girl from our class named Wendy McGowan, was now carved majestically at least eight feet off the ground. The kiss tree being where you carved the names of people you wanted to kiss. The higher the name, the more passionate the love. Things like this had been raging all summer, about girls and boys and what we were and weren't capable of. Just look at God, Peter said. He's the one in charge, and does he have a penis or not? <laughs> Standing astraddle my bike in a bathing suit, sputtering swear words at him half under my breath, I gazed at Peter's perfect eyelashes. I'd noticed he was always at his most confident when he didn't know what he was talking about, but I didn't care. All I could think about was what it would feel like to put my lips on his. Up till then, I'd only had a crush on Finn in Star Wars, so it was a new and intoxicating feeling to even think about what kissing might be like. It was also confusing since I was planning to be a nun. Deeply religious, I was wearing a crucifix that my mom had left in a drawer and a guardian angel bracelet I'd bought at the Mary Immaculate Fall Fling, but in my shorts pocket, I also kept a rock that Peter had dropped once on the playground. The kids called me the Loch Ness Monster because I was so quiet you barely knew I existed, but I was also dangerous. Ever since my mom had left our family half a year earlier to move to Cleveland, I'd started pinching people who made me mad without ever saying a word, making blood rise up under their skin in welts. Now I stood staring at the knife Peter dangled before us, having an inner battle, pride and anger making my heart skitter around like a moth. I knew I could climb the tree higher than he could, but not with people watching. And anyway, I knew proving Peter wrong about the penises would turn him against me, and he'd never kiss me at all. I wanted to be the kind of girl Peter kissed. 
So I made a face of agreement that yes, girls could not climb. That's when Elias ran past in shorts and a Coke t-shirt. We studiously ignored him as we had all summer. The rest of us had known each other all our lives, but Elias was only visiting and there was nothing like a true outsider to make you feel like an insider. Every day, Elias ran laps of the neighborhood, but I'd never talked with him. He stood out in every possible way. Thick wavy black hair that had a mind of its own, sometimes standing left and sometimes right, but always strikingly determined as hair went. Brown skin among our sea of freckled pinks and tans, and when he talked, an accent that sounded like stretching out on the beach on a hot day. He was visiting from Australia, which, so far as we knew, was a dry place on the other side of the world with koalas, the world's deadliest spiders, and of course, kangaroos. He was here for the summer visiting his aunt and uncle, the Cons, who ran a bakery called Cookie Caverns, one town over. You couldn't completely ignore him. He was too lean, tall, wiry, confident, his head always cocked like he was listening to some distant radio, tuned to something interesting that wasn't us. Now he nodded to us with a little interest, and we side-eyed him until he'd run past. We went on circling the tree, and Peter went on pointing triumphantly at Wendy McGowan. And then a voice boomed down the street, summoning one of us for dinner, and we scattered like pool balls. Peter buried the knife in the dirt before leaving, clearly thinking it was a cool gesture. Soon, even my sister, Thea, was gone, and it was only me left at the base of the tree, staring up at Wendy McGowan's name. Once everyone was out of sight, I knelt in the dirt and dug out the knife. After a moment, in spite of my subpar vagina, <laughs> I began to climb. With strong, long legs, I scaled the tree fast. I knew Peter climbed like a sloth in comparison. Up past Wendy McGowan's name, I took in the view of the river rushing by and for the first time felt afraid. Dear God, watch over me, I thought. Dear Virgin Mary, watch over me. My life was a litany of prayers for A's, safety, beauty. I turned to the tree and bit my lip, grasping the knife to carve. But something froze my hand. It was the idea of leaving a trace of myself that everyone would see. I hesitated another moment, and then, instead of carving Peter's name, I kissed the tree long and hard. I pulled back and looked out at the river and thought about making my way home. When my eyes skimmed the ground again, Elias Jones was watching me. He was leaning to the left, hand at his side as if he had a cramp, panting from his run, his hair leaning left. That's when I lost my balance and my grasp and slid the rest of the way down, the bark scraping my legs. I landed on my back with a thud at his feet. I bit my lip and looked down at my legs, a long, thin cut seeping across my knee. We both gazed down at it, tiny and already clotting, but possibly in my eyes, deadly. You okay? Elias asked, the two words rolling out wide and friendly. I didn't meet his eyes. Yep. I hopped up and started walking home. Elias, not one to be easily deterred, kept up a few feet behind me. You could pass out from blood loss, he said. I'll make sure you get home without dying. I'm good. Elias kept following me. He didn't seem to mind absolute rejection. And then an idea seemed to come to him. Maybe he spotted my crucifix. There's a spot on Cub Mountain where you can see heaven, he said. That got my attention. I looked back at him. 
His face was creased with genuine worry, mixed with curiosity of a boy who'd just seen a girl kiss a tree. Where? I asked. Our town was in full splendor that afternoon, the low hills green and lush, the old stone houses of downtown gray against the trees as we climbed. From up high, we could see spires of my school's church, the cluster of brick buildings nestled among the woods. I wanted to take it all in as we walked, but Elias wouldn't stop talking. That's porcelainberry. It's invasive. Did you know that? Did you know vines travel just differently than people do? Did you know they put out their little feelers and pat around like mimes before they climb? At the farm my dad works, we have this tree called Boab. The vowels stretched out, Boab, that looks like a joke. It used to freak me out because I thought it was from another planet. My auntie loves them. She has bad hair. She has this huge mole on her cheek. I feel bad for her because she hates it. I guess I hate it for her too. I could get a Boab seed and mail it to you, even though it's probably against the law. Just give me your address. You don't talk much, he said, to which I did not respond. Elias went on. I listened, but pretended not to. Elias liked nature a lot, and movies. He loved to run. He seemed to like everything except his aunt's mole. His grandmother was from Bangladesh, but she fell madly in love with and married an Australian farmer when she immigrated. His dad was mostly a farmer, but had done all sorts of jobs over the years. Fruit picking, plucking pearls from oysters. As he chattered on, I watched the houses grow smaller below us and felt myself getting farther and farther from home, which was thrilling, but also scary. Since my mom had left, I'd gotten cautious. I didn't know why then, but I think when your own mom leaves you in the dust, you start watching the world closer to see what else might surprise you. Not that, the, not that my mom had ever been a full-on mom anyway. Her leaving had only confirmed she'd been half gone all along. Finally, out of breath, Elias announced, We're here. We perched on a boulder at the top of the mountain. From this spot, you could see the reservoir that doubled as our town's only lake, the bridge that cut across it for passing trains, the Green Valley River below it, and the giant old-fashioned hotel, the Rose, that had perched along its craggy bank almost since the town was born. A train was moving slowly in Green Valley's direction, like a silver caterpillar inching its way toward Reservoir Bridge. It was a lucky sighting. The line had fallen out of use because of quicker routes. But what grabbed my attention was the toy-like view of New York City, east of us. It was a tiny skyline in the distance, 20 or so miles away but unmistakable. A hazy gray cluster of buildings stretching skyward, as unreachable and imaginary to me as the Emerald City of Oz. The adults of Green Valley traveled there all the time, to work, to hang out, to visit friends. But for kids like me, it was an elusive place. It felt like the center of gravity around which our town revolved, and also like another planet. The one thing missing from the view was heaven. I was starting to think I'd been duped. Elias squinted at the sky, at two puffy white clouds making their slow way over us. I guess you can only see it on a clear day, he said. I'd realize, when I knew him again years later, that he always squinted when he lied. He seemed to be thinking of some way to distract me. He looked at me, but avoided my eyes, and then his gaze traveled to my hand. I realized I'd forgotten to put the knife down when we left the tree. But that wasn't what he was looking at. He reached out and touched a finger lightly to my bracelet. I held it out for him to see, the charm adorned with a tiny holy scene. 
It was a famous image of a guardian angel following two innocent and rather clueless kids as they crossed a treacherous rushing stream while she floated behind them, unseen but powerfully protective. I loved it, and I believed in it. I felt like if I wore the bracelet, the angel would follow me around too, hovering near my bed, making sure all was well. Elias peered at it, his eyebrows low and intent. She looks like she's hiding something, he said dubiously. I frowned at the angel, perplexed, searching for what he saw, and then he slipped the knife from my hand. I have an idea, he said. I saw this in a movie. He bit his lip and, too quickly for me to process what he was doing or react, sliced a long, thin line into his palm. Then he pushed his palm against the cut on my knee and smiled before pulling his hand away. My heart pounded for a moment. He shrugged. There, we're like blood siblings now. I blinked, shocked by his foolhardiness. I wanted to tell him it didn't really count, but didn't have the heart. I was just going to carve my own name on the tree, I lied. The first full sentence I'd said to him. He studied me, and maybe he believed me or not. I leave tomorrow for Australia, he said. But if you give me your address, I promise I'll write. Like real letters, not messaging. He waited for me to agree. Letters are more mysterious, he added. I shrugged. I was kind of enjoying Elias's enthusiastic and constant chatter, but I felt I'd be giving up all my power by showing it. And then I spelled out my address for him, figuring he wouldn't remember. We sat in silence for a while, watching the train wind its way through the edges of town and onto the bridge over the lake. I was half daydreaming about Peter Murphy's lips and getting home before I got in trouble when it happened. The valley must have echoed the sound of it, because before I saw it, I heard it. It was the scrape and scream of metal first that made us jerk. A wrong sound, a gut punch kind of sound, even from a distance. My eyes were on the train in the valley before I knew why. The train lurched strangely leftward. The scrape became a shriek, the sound of metal howling, and then the half of the train that had crossed onto the bridge slumped. Screams tore from the windows as both bridge and train sagged, making my skin crawl and my heart thud sickly. And then, in an echo of metal, a piece of reservoir bridge vanished underneath itself, like a nightmare. Half the train cars crashed into the dark water with it. I didn't make a sound. All my terror went in instead of out, a curling knot of knives in my chest. At some point, I hadn't noticed. Elias had gripped my arm, and now he dug his fingers deep into my skin. Moments passed and felt eternal, and then came a silence, as if, for a terrifying moment, no one but us had noticed. Like we were the only ones who could save the people trapped underwater, which of course we weren't. And then came the sirens and the screams of the people above. And what could we do, the two of us, but watch? Moments passed as the lights of the fire trucks and ambulances and police cars descended on the valley. And then I felt Elias's fingers jerk again and clutch me tighter as if something new had happened. He said something strange then, something that would seem stranger in the years that came after. Do you see them? He asked. I thought for a moment, hopefully he meant people must be swimming up to the surface from the submerged cars. It looked for the shapes of them making their escape, but no one was there. Later, I'd think he was only hoping and asking me to confirm this hope, but that too would turn out to be wrong. We'd better go, I said. We walked home down the mountain, stunned, 
while the sounds of sirens still echoed through the trees. We didn't talk. Adults, distraught and loud, were gathering in a gaggle on my block when we emerged from the woods at the end of the woodland. My dad was among them, talking to Mrs. Christopolis from across the street. Nobody noticed us or that we'd been gone at all. And in the way of children who don't know what they can and can't be blamed for, we said nothing about what we'd seen. We'd been where we shouldn't and seen something terrible we shouldn't have seen. I heard about it later on the news. A weakness in the short spans, rusted by something in the water, had made the bridge collapse. Six people died that day in the accident over the reservoir. The conductor and the only passengers in the forward car. The passengers were all in the same family, the family that owned the Rose Hotel. They were returning from a trip to the city. The mom and dad, two teenage daughters, one teenage son. Luckily, the other cars had been empty. We were a wiry, curious boy and a Loch Ness monster of a girl, just exploring the woods toward the borders of our small and quiet world. We had seen something there were no words for. And so we wouldn't know until many years later how we had seen something completely different. Our secrets had only just begun. Dear Cassie, Elias wrote nearly a month after he'd gone back to Australia, though I'd never expected to hear from him again. The envelope was addressed politely to Ms. Cassie Blake. I wish that we could talk in person. I need to ask you something private. And then weeks later, dear Cassie, the priests are wrong. God doesn't have a penis. God is an eight-armed destructor named Ganesha, and she has huge boobs, and boy is she pissed. I learned this from my great auntie's best friend from Bangladesh, who's Hindu. Anyway, I thought you'd be happy about that. Things are bad on the farm. We are waiting for rain. Dear Cassie, a volcano erupted and nearly crashed a plane. Can you imagine? Just think, millions of years, civilizations and countries and fast food come along and the internet and you end up in a business suit in the sky in a lava cloud, like you are a pterodactyl or something, like you might as well not be modern at all. I've been watching Lord of the Rings and there's a volcano in that too. Only I just like the Shire parts, which are there to make the orcs look extra crappy for destroying everything. My dad says the best way to win people over is to ask them about themselves. So where do you stand on orcs? Dear Cassie, I thought when you said I could write you, you would write me back. Are you writing me back? We are brother and sister after all. Hardy har. Dear Cassie, I'm worried about some things. If you write to me, I'll tell you more. The suspense, it's killing you. Dear Cassie, I kissed a girl. Have you ever kissed anyone? Any pointers, ha ha? Things are bad on the farm, like really bad. So much has dried up, right back. I read Elias's letters in a distracted way for the next couple of years, but I did not keep them or reply. I couldn't really say why not, except that I didn't like to think of the day of the train and the two could not be separated. And so when the letter stopped abruptly somewhere in year three, I barely noticed. I grew and somewhere I guessed he did too if I thought about him at all. Meanwhile, the day of the train had taken two things from me, my belief that anything in this world was safe and my belief in God. I'd watched six people die a horrible death and it had torn open a seam in what I thought I knew. In that moment, even as a kid, it had suddenly all seemed so cut and dry. People were there and then they were unthere. No surprise, actually you have earned eternal life. No great, being making things right 
or even there at all. I prayed desperately to be proven wrong every night for years. I asked hard things from God for proof that he existed. Please make that car fly. Please make it snow in summer. When that didn't work, I asked for less and less. Please make that bird land on that branch right now. Please make that person turn their head to the left. But it didn't work. God had leaked out of me like air from a tire, dispersing into the atmosphere, irretrievable. When I heard about Australia or the Great Barrier Reef or the Glasshouse Mountains that were leftover plugs of volcanoes, it was a cartoon place and Elias was a cartoon boy who lived there, far from my mind and getting further all the time. The whole world was somehow less real than Green Valley and also dangerous. And then years later, Elias reappeared. Once he did, we would know each other for 78 days. There would be a clock on us from the start. It began, of course, with a letter. And that is the end of the chapter. So while I was reading, I was thinking that it might be good to know who Saint Ia is. So IA or EIA or HIA or HYA. Wow, that saint's got a lot of different names. Ia of Cornwall or Ia. This saint was an evangelist and martyr of the 5th or 6th centuries in Cornwall. She is said to have been an Irish princess, the sister of Erk of Slan, and a student of St. Bericus. Her feast day is February 3rd. So I'm thinking it's Aya is how you pronounce it. Oh, wow. Legend holds that they had up to 777 companions when she was going to Cornwall from her native Ireland, along with other saints, finding that they had gone without her, fearing that she was too young for such a hazardous journey, she was grief-stricken and began to pray. And as she prayed, she noticed a small leaf floating on the water and touched it with a rod to see if it was sink. And as she watched, it grew bigger and bigger. Trusting God, she embarked upon the leaf and was carried across the Irish Sea. She reached Cornwall before the others, where she joined some other saints. So that's where they had up to 777 companions, and she was martyred under King Tudor on the River Hale and buried at what is now St. Ives, where St. Ives Church, of which she is now the patron saint, was erected over her grave. Okay, so there we go. That's some details about St. Ives. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm kind of intrigued to see what happens next in this book. It wasn't really on my radar, but now it is you didn't like that, no worries. Always something else to read or listen to. Thank you for joining me and I hope you will listen in next time for another Next Reads.